Um, we, uh, I seen a group called the Young Men. How original is that? We're all young. And, uh, and we had a reunion in 1983, a 10-year reunion. And I went back and recorded. And I uh, never heard anything from it. And the tenor singer, who, by the way, it's so funny, he graduated from, from college or high school. I'm not sure he went to college. And uh, he sang the tenor and went to work for Walt Disney World singing, uh, what's that music, four-part music? What's that called? Quartet? Barbershop. Barbershop Quartet. And we stayed there for 30 years and retired singing Barbershop. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a great story? But anyway, so he found this, this tape from 1983 and put it on CD and just sent it to all the guys that were, well, one guy's gone. Uh, he died. Um, but the three that were remaining sent us. So I thought that was kind of cool. So yeah, 1983, I joined Johnny Cash and Red Foley and those guys. <laughs> hey, why don't we um, just take just a moment before we preach and let's pray. Many of y'all got a call out today about Marquita. This is a pretty, it's very contagious, and it's just a real serious infection she has. And uh, she's just getting weaker because of that. And uh, so I, Cindy was just really, really concerned. And then I did not know that Callie was in the hospital until this afternoon when Mike Maynard um, texted me. And they do have the labor stopped. She's not due till November 23rd, so it's way early. And they do have it stopped, and, but she's still in the hospital. So continue to pray for her. And then I checked that Madeline Carr is home, and she was in the hospital over the weekend. So we rejoice and we're thankful for that, okay? So why don't we just bow our heads and pray just Bill for a moment? I'm sorry? He is. Ah! Harrisburg? Farrell. Okay, my goodness. Did not know that one. Did not know that one. All right, well, let's pray. Fathers, we spoke about um, this morning. We are so grateful for our salvation, and we're grateful for that day when it all began, but that day when we will be finally freed from the presence of sin. And that's what that song that Linda just sang talked about, that peace in the valley. And Father, we, uh, we are very grateful that we have confident assurance um, in the hope of eternity through Jesus Christ. We're thankful. Father, as we think about days and decades passing, we think about, Father, ones that we have loved and we've had to let go to heaven. And uh, Father, it's been difficult and hard, even though we know where they're going um, you've just blessed us with so many good, good people, Father, through the ages, but especially here at Dorsville. And we are grateful that they're in heaven with you. But, Father, we remember the difficulty and the hardness of letting them go until we join them again in heaven. Father, we certainly thank you for Marquita. And, Father, our concern is, of course, for her very life. And, God, I believe that all my heart Psalm 139 is true that you number our days. That the time of our departure is not happenstance, accidental. It is determined by you. And your word says that all our days, all our days were numbered by you before even one of them was lived. So we had that confident assurance that her life is in your very hands. Now with all that said, our desire, Father, is that you give her many more days. So we want to pray, Father, for wisdom for the doctors. Um, Father, we want to pray for a medication, an antibiotic that will fight this um, intense infection. And then, Father, we want to pray, God, for her healing. We'll pray for that. Father, we know from your word that your son Jesus and you 
love little children. And that includes little children in the womb. And we want to pray right now for that little baby that lives inside Callie's womb tonight. And we want to pray, Father, um, in Jesus' name, that that baby will be allowed to stay and to grow, Father, and become much more viable, Father, as the days go by. We pray for peace, Father, for Mike and for Lucy, Father, as they um, go through this valley with Callie. So we pray, Father, for your will to be done there. I want to pray for our brother Bill. He's, Father, he's always an encouragement. His laughter is good for us. And it grieves me, Father, to know that he is in the hospital even tonight. So we want to pray, Father, for his healing. We know he wrestles with this COPD. We know his father is something he's had a long time. But we know that you are greater than any and all diseases. So we place him in your sovereign care. And we are grateful uh, that Madeline is home. We're grateful for that. We're glad that, that Ellen, Father, is doing well from our heart, cat. So we're grateful for that. Now, Lord, I know there are other things coming up, other surgeries, other illnesses, sicknesses. Um, Father, difficult situations. And you know everyone. I'm glad that you do. And so, Father, as we journey this week, Father, help us to be a people of prayer. Um, Lord, uh, you said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are to be a joyful people, we are to be a prayerful people, and we are to be a thankful people. So as we journey this week and we hear of news or we see something, Father, may we, even as we walk, may we share, um, Father, may we share, Father, with you in prayer, even during that journey. So thanks for these folks tonight. We pray, God, that you'll enrich us through your word. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, you know, I don't know about you. Uh, I really appreciate what Tyler said about the video. Um, to see that it excites me and encourages me to give because of this. Like you said, Tyler, here's a former drug dealer facing, facing two to five or three to five years in prison. And we see the power of the gospel. Now, come on. We see the power of a gospel, you know, of the gospel. You know, we think about Matthew, this despised tax collector, and Jesus just walking up and saying, hey, come and follow me, and he does. He follows Christ, ends up writing one of the gospels. How powerful is that? And we see this young man who was on a destructive, destructive path, and God in grace and mercy reached down and touched his life, and now he's serving as a church planner and senior pastor at a church called Ignite in, in the metro area. That is just powerful, and that is just awesome. I'm glad it happens in Africa. I'm glad it happens in China. But I'm glad it happens right here in Illinois. Amen? That's the power of the gospel. Now, here's what I also know. I also know that when we have our thinking... When we have our brains under the umbrella of the gospel, when we allow the word of God to permeate um, our entire being, when we become more, more than a listener of the word, as James said, we become a doer of the word, I know a couple of things. One, we're going to be a more generous people, and we're going to be a people more committed to serving. Would you say amen to that? We really are. Our, when we have the right mindset, it impacts everything. And that's what, I guess that's the big takeaway for me anyway is, 
is, you know, we're all about, and there's nothing wrong with this, we're all about, you know, how can my life be richer and fuller? Well, I'm here to tell you, when we get our brains right with God, when we get our brains right uh, with His Word and allow the Word and the Holy Spirit to do what they desire to do, our life becomes immensely better. You know, sir, when you're a better husband through the power of the gospel, you are going to have a better marriage. Ma'am, when you, when you have, have, you will have a better marriage when your life is empowered through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. We, you have a better work relationship. You have a better neighborhood when the gospel is allowed to permeate and the Word permeates us. So when we think right, we are going to benefit from it. We are going to benefit from it. So we talked a lot this morning, and I'm not going to re- reteach all of that material. In fact, I'm going to preach none of that material. But I did promise you three things tonight, three things that we can do. Now, I do want, I say I'm not going to preach anything from this morning. I do want to read James 1.21 just one more time, because that sets up the stage for what we're going to share tonight. The Bible says in James 1.21, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness... And the overflow of wickedness. I really like that word overflow. So we're to lay aside all the things that would make us toxic. Spiritually toxic. James says lay that stuff aside. We are in a cooperative process with the Holy Spirit in how we think. Let me say that again. We're in a cooperative process with the Holy Spirit in the way that we think and a bunch more things. So James says, lay that aside and receive with humility, receive with meekness, receive with lowliness um, the implanted word. So we're to let the word get a hold of us. We are let the word get inside of us and begin to change who we are. I preached a couple times on a Wednesday night I know of, and we talked about, will we be a different person a year from now. If we look forward, we fast track to September the, 20, uh, the 18th, 2017, we look back and we see what God's Word was t- taught to us today. Will we think the same way? Will we be the same way? Or will we allow the implant, implanted Word to change us? To change us. So James says, let this implanted Word, okay, get in you that it may save your souls. And we talked about this morning the idea, the concept, that part of the soul is our mental state. Part of what makes up the soul is our mental state. And we know that James was, this is really good, that James is not talking to lost people. So whatever he's saying, he is not saying that you need to get saved, that that may save your souls. However, because salvation is an ongoing process, beginning in a day in history and ending really in eternity, but for our purposes on earth, ending on a day somewhere in the future, but all those days in between is a process where God is in the process of saving our souls. Because salvation is an ongoing process that we call sanctification. Sanctification. Become more and more and more and more like Jesus Christ. So... How does that happen? And it happens, really, the golden nugget is the Word of God. The golden nugget is the Word of God. Three words that I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with the word renew. I want to leave you with the word prepare. I want to leave you with the word set. 
Let's look first off at the word renew. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. Now, I need to tell you that, and you've probably noticed recently particularly, that there are certain scriptures that are so strong and so powerful, I believe they need to be continually set before us. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are two of those verses. You should, you should really make this part of your scripture memory program. You should make this part of your Bible study. I'm sure somewhere out there, someone has written an entire book on Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It is so very powerful. And here's what Romans... Now, again, when I was a, an RA, when I was like 16 years old or 15, to be a guide... You had to memorize certain scriptures. And this is one of the scriptures that we, I memorized then. And I'm pretty sure I memorized it in the King James uh, back in those days. But Paul starts out by saying, I beseech you, I urge you therefore, brethren, because or by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And that also translates, which is your spiritual worship. Now, what I want to capitalize on tonight, and I'm not sure, frankly, I think I used New King James. I may not have. So if it doesn't line up, you know I didn't. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we're going to get our word. Here it is. And do not... I'm sorry. Did I just hear something? Oh, no. I'm going crazy. Oh, was it? Is that what it was? It sounded like somebody, it sounded like somebody hollered. Oh, wow. It was daunting. At least I'm not crazy. That's better, Donna. I'm telling you what. Paul starts out by saying, and do not be conformed to this world. Let's pause there. What Satan desires for us to be is conformed to the world. um, How many of you have grandchildren? Great, okay. And, And some of you are young enough to have actual children. We're glad you're here. You lower the age limit, all right? So we're glad we got kids and grandkids. But you are probably familiar with Play-Doh, you know? And Play-Doh, when you take it out of the can, you, you shake it out of the can, and guess what it's shaped like? Yeah, the can. The can. Play-Doh is a toy that's made to be conformed. And um, now, again, they've got all kinds of things. I mean, we bought one of our grandkids. I don't know if it was Hope. It was, it was a girl. Maybe an Ellie. Actually, it was Ellie. And so you, you buy this thing, and it comes with a press, and you put the Play-Doh in there, and you mash down on the press, and depending on what, what style you have, what mold you have in there, it makes things. And in this case, you actually had all the pieces, all the molds necessary to make a dress. And so there was our little Play-Doh doll, and she was standing you know, like this, and you put the bottom skirt thing in, you press that, and it came out looking like a skirt, and you stuck it on her. And then you had the little blousy thing, and you pressed down on that, and it made a blouse. And on it went, a bow, uh, everything that she needed to be dressed. And it all happened because the Play-Doh was conformable to the mold. Now, maybe, if, again, if you're a teenager, are there any teenagers? No, they're all, they're all in youth thing. But you understand, we thought peer pressure was big when we were younger. Teenagers today are under more peer pressure than ever. And if you know anything, if you've got a grandchild or a child who is a teenager, you understand that fully. Same thing. The group puts pressure on the person to conform to whatever the standard is. 
We see it in dress. We see it in the, in the drug culture, the alcohol culture, the, the sexual culture. We see it in all that. There's a societal pressure to cause a person to conform. And Paul says, don't be conformed to that world. Don't be like Play-Doh and be conformed. And don't, be, uh, don't allow peer pressure to conform. Some of you ladies, you do cake decorating. And you got that little tubey thing. And you, you put the little thing in it, and you put the little thing on the end that tightens it down. There's a lot of things, you know, in the kitchen. And then you put this, this ice thing in it, and you put it there, and you seal it off at the top, and you start squeezing it. And if you've got a star-shaped tip, if you've got a round tip, whatever it is, that ice thing is going to conform to whatever that tip says. Now, understand, whether you are, listen, listen, whether you are 80 tonight or whether you are 15 does not matter. Satan will do everything he can to, to get you to conform to the standards of the world. And don't tell me he won't mess with your brain to do it. Don't tell me he won't mess with your brain to do it because he will. So Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. It's an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's not an afterthought. It's an imperative. Don't be conformed to this world. But, he says, be transformed. Be transformed. Now, again, because I'm a pawpaw, I know a little bit about transformers. Now, not the kind, Dwight, not the transformer with electricity. Not talking about that kind of a transformer. But there's toys that you take them, and they may look like a car. Okay? And then you twist and turn kind of like a Rubik's Cube kind of thing. I'm not real good at it. One of my, I think it was Taylor uh, or Will brought me a toy down in Savannah, a, a transformer. I couldn't get it to do nothing. You know, I kind of felt like, you know, not very like into it. But I've watched these kids do it and they take it and turn this around, turn that around, twist that around. And ta-da, it turns into a robot. It was a car, but it's transformed into something different. Paul is saying this, don't let the world pressure you, but rather be transformed. Allow the Word and allow the Holy Spirit to take you from one thing and to make you into another. One more time. Let the Word and the Holy Spirit change you from one thing to another thing. Now again, that obviously majorly happens upon salvation. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Be able all things to become, all things to pass away. Be able all things to become new. Got that. Got that. But because of the sanctification process, we're in a constant flux of change. Becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus. Now listen. That's normal. What's abnormal is never to change. It's abnormal for us to look a year in the future and go, yep, same Dwayne. Look back a year ago, yep, same Dwayne. That's abnormal. Normalcy is to be transformed. How does that happen? We preachers are so good at telling you you ought to do something and not giving you a way to do it. Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does a wonderful thing. He says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Here it is. By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Now, I did the logical thing. I went on the internet and went to Merriam-Webster Dictionary and got the first four short definitions of the word renew. Here they are. Number one, 
to make like new, to restore to freshness, vigor, and perfection. Good definition. Definition number two, to make new spiritually, to regenerate. Good definition. Three, to restore to existence, to revive. Good definition. Number four, to make extensive changes in, to rebuild. Good definition. So Paul says, I think you could take these things and stick them right there with that word renew, and virtually every one of them fits. Don't be conformed to this world, but be made from one thing into another by the renewing of your mind. Now, by the way, that should undergird what your pastor taught this morning. Because I know some people say, it's just not that important how we think. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because how we think is the sanctification process that plays such a huge part in how we become like Jesus. So, renewing your mind, by the renewing your mind, and watch this, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, the will of God, another translation says it. Now, imagine with me the liberation. Imagine imagine with me the liberation of living and understanding what is good and acceptable, the perfect will of God. How much better would your life be as as a believer, believer if you truly knew you were living in the will of God? Huge, isn't it? Again, I love to pick on the husband and wife thing because I are one. Okay, how how much better of a husband would I be if I knew I was living in the in the good and acceptable, the perfect will of God? Ladies, what kind of a better wife would you be? A dad, mom, grandmother, grandfather, employee, employer. How much better would we be? Imagine the liberation that we would find if we allowed in cooperation with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, that we renew our minds, that we make it light new, restore to freshness, with vigor and perfection, make new spiritually to regenerate, to restore to existence, to revive, to make extensive changes, to rebuild. How wild would that be? Now, if this was a self-help program, that's gibberish. But when you throw in the living Word of God and His Holy Spirit, it moves from beyond gibberish to incredibly true. To incredibly true. Now, in Ephesians, this is my backup scripture for this. In Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and 23. Paul gives us three steps. That again, helps us just better understand what it means to renew our mind. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and 23. Now, he gives us, again, it's the sandwich thing again. Okay? He gives us a slice of bread. He gives us a slice of bread. And he gives us a great truth in the middle. He gives us a slice of bread, a slice of bread, and some great truth in the middle. Here we have it. Look, watch this. He says in verse 22 of Ephesians 4, You took off the former way of life, the old self, that is corrupted, and may I put the word in there, toxic, that is corrupted by deceitful desires. He says, you, when you're born, born again, you take that off. Now, again, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, we choose to take that off. We choose to take that off. Again, think of what we said this morning about toxic thinking, about dark thinking, about those dark neural pathways. All right? We choose to take that off. I wrote down, I like this word, 
You abandon that. You abandon that. You know, again, when we go to Africa, we see all kind of vehicles, um, obviously long lost past their usefulness, and they're just abandoned. Paul says, abandon that old man. Then at the end, in verse number, in number 23, uh, sorry, verse 24, he says this. You put on the new self. This is the other piece of bread. You take off, you abandon the old man. You don't tuck it away in your closet for future reference. You know, again, if you're really serious about your diet, you hide the food really well. No, no, you get rid of it. Don't tell Judy where the desserts are if you're really serious about your diet. Now, you abandon it. You clean out the pantry. All right? And the other slice of the bread is you put on the new self, the one, I like this, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. I like that. Can I read it again? You put on the new self, the new man, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. Now, again, let's talk about real quick the purity of truth. If you will listen, Satan will lie to you all day long. And if you think I'm a little bit weird because I've got a line that grew into a lie, that grew into a label, that became a liability, you don't know it, but Satan's playing that game with you. He's telling you that you will never be more than you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. You're a failure. You've always been a failure. You're not committed, and you never will be committed. You're not generous. You can never be generous. You can't forgive. You never will forgive. You can't love. You will never love. That's the junk He feeds us. That's the junk He feeds us. He feeds us a line that turns into a lie, that turns into a label. We're failure, we're failure, we're failure. That's all we ever are. We have got to determine what are we going to believe. Now, I'm certain most of the people in this room would agree with me and say, no, I've not heard God audibly speaking, but I have heard the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. And the Holy Spirit will speak truth to you. But if you can't imagine hearing the voice of God in your spirit, you can't imagine reading it from the living pages of the Word of God. I suggest, I suggest as your pastor, that you get into the Word of God and start reading what God says about you because what God says about you is true and what Satan says about you is a lie. The purity of truth. You, you put on this new man created, create, I love that, created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. Now, secondly, now no matter how hard you try, I hope you understand, you will never be perfect. Good news is, you don't have to be perfect because Christ was. You were created in God's likeness and righteousness. Whose righteousness? Not yours. His, His, His. So we put off the old man. We abandon the old man. We put on this new man created in the likeness of God's righteousness and in the purity of truth. And guess what happens? The middle of the sandwich. Look at verse 23. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. Notice the word spirit there is not capitalized. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit. 
It's talking about our attitudes. Our attitudes. You are being renewed in the attitudes of your mind. In other words, guess what happens? When we abandon the old man and we put on the new man, our thinking starts to change. Our thinking starts to change. We stop thinking the negative, dark thoughts of I'm a failure, I'll always be a failure, and we start believing what God says about you, and I promise you that will change your life. That will change your life. Philippians 2.5 says, Paul says, let this mind, let this attitude that was in Christ Jesus be in you. What is God's goal? God's goal is for the attitudes of Christ, the thought and thinking process, how we see things that was in Christ be in us. Amen? So renew your mind. Now, secondly, we'll go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Our second word is prepare. Our second word is prepare. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. Now Peter's talking. And Peter says this, Therefore, prepare, there's our, there's our word, prepare your minds for what? Prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. So, I went to the dictionary.com or the Merriam-Webster Dictionary and got these definitions. Thinking of the word prepare. To make ready for some activity, purpose, or use. To make ready for some activity, purpose, or use. To make yourself ready, the second definition. To make yourself ready for something that you will be doing. Something that you expect to happen. I like that one. Three, to make or create something so that it is ready for use. So Peter says... Prepare then um, to, to make it ready for some activity, to make yourself ready for something, to expect something to happen. Prepare your minds for what? For action. Believing that God, believing that God is going to do something in your life. Now listen, if we, if we think, you know, expect God to make us a millionaire, that may or, not, may or may not happen. But when we follow the promises of the Word of God, Jesus, God, is a promise-keeping God. He's a, come on now, He's a promise-keeping Savior. So get ready for God to do something. Prepare your mind for God to do something in your life. And then He says this, Keep sober in spirit. Keep sober in spirit. Now, y'all know what the word sober means, don't you? It means serious. It means serious. So keep be serious in spirit. Now, someone might say these words. How serious should I be? Dwayne, how serious should I take this mess you've created today, that you've made today, that you presented today? How serious is this thinking thing? Well, let me just tell you one more time. Satan wants your mind desperately. Because he knows if he gets your heart, that's one thing. But if he gets your mind then it controls your actions, your service, your generosity, your ability to love, your ability to forgive. It controls so many different things. So he wants your mind. So it would seem logical to me that as serious as God, or that Satan is about stealing my mind, 
I should be that serious and more in guarding my mind. Let me say it one more time. As serious as Satan is in stealing my mind, I should be that serious and more to strategically protect my mind. All right, you got that? That's hugely, hugely important. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope. I like that word hope. Fix your hope completely on what? On the grace, the unmerited favor of God. Fix your hope unconditionally on the unmerited favor of God. And watch, it's a special kind. He says, to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So set your mind on the hope of the grace of God that's going to be revealed at that final day, that final heartbeat, or the rapture of the church, whatever occurs. Set your hope on that. Well, Dwayne, how does that help in preparing my mind? It will always, it won't always be this way. There is coming a day. Miss Linda, guess what? More than a song, there will be peace in the valley. More than a song, the bear will lay down with the lamb. And the lion will be tamed. It won't always be this way. You will not always for all eternity be in this stinking broken world. There is an eternity coming where Jesus will be our Lord, King, and Savior in a very different and real way and we will be with Him. We'll see our loved ones. We'll see our Savior. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no pain. There'll be no sorrow. So it won't... Listen, fix your hope. Fix your hope on the fact that we won't always be this way. Prepare yourself by knowing there will be a victory day. In in another sense than the victory we live here. That there will be that glorification day when we leave this earth. Now my backup scripture is this. In a more practical way for this earth. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. The psalmist writes these words, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not. Now, we could spend a long time, you understand, and it's 7 o'clock. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel, in the advice, in the wisdom of the ungodly, nor stands in the pathway of sinners. In other words, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the pathway that the sinners walk. Nor do they sit in the seat of the scornful. The scornful are the God mockers. And so happy is the man who doesn't find himself a seat with the God mockers. Blessed is that man. Now I hope you understand that again, people will influence you. I know, I know the young girls date a lost boy and they say, I'm going to, I'm going to see him saved. Well, the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked together. Just you've got a daughter, you need to raise her up and understand. The Bible says, if you're a saved believer, you date believers. Someone ought to say amen. That's just the way it ought to be. That's what the Bible says. Actually, the way it ought to be. It's what the Bible says very clearly. We, if we're not careful, will be influenced by the people. We may have, now again, not preaching isolation, not talking about being isolated. I'm not talking about that at all. You can't win someone if you're not with someone. But the intimate, close relationships, where you're going to get your core values from, the advice you're going to take about marriage, those kind of things, don't need to come from a lost world. 
that's a good place for an amen. <laughs> no, it says this. Well, let me read Proverbs thirteen twenty. It's too good not to pause and read it. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. You want to mess up your thinking? Then again, get your wisdom from a lost world. Verse 2 says this, But his delight, the, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And here it is, and here it is. And in his law, he meditates day and night. You can't be strong in your faith and be a part-time Christian. You can't be strong in your faith and be a part-time Christian. I'm going to go one step further. You can't be strong in your faith and be a part-time Bible student. Oh, no amens? Come on. You can't be strong in your faith and be a part-time Bible student. The Word of God declares in this verse, in this Scripture, yes, Old Testament, but we could have gone to the New Testament, says that if you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed, then you meditate on the Word of God day and night. It's your guide. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6 on the doorpost, on the frontless between your eyes, on your hands, in your house, the side of the road, wherever you go, you meditate. You meditate on the Word of God day and night. And that will prepare you, that will prepare you to live in this process of sanctification. It will give you the, allow you to live the victory that Christ has already won for you. All right, one more and we got to quit. This last word is the word set. The word set. It's Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2. This is a short one, literally. Colossians 3, 2. Here, Paul writes these words. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. So guess what I did? I went to the dictionary.com and went to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary and said, okay, what does the word set mean? The word set, three definitions, means this. And it's not bad. To place oneself in a position to start running in a race. On your mark, get set. To place oneself in position to start running in a race. To place with care or deliberate purpose and with relative stability. I.e., I set the ladder firmly against the wall. Against the wall. Third thing. To direct with fixed attention. To direct with fixed attention. I set my gaze on the tower. I set my gaze on the tower. All three definitions involve intentionality. Very Being very intentional. Paul says in Colossians 3.2, With great intentionality. With great purpose. We are to set our mind... Not on this earth, but on the things that are above. Now, my backup verse, and again, we could do a lot with this probably, but we're not going to tonight. But in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. You know this verse probably. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, 
whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, the short list of how we should think is things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and of good report. But he goes on and says, if there's anything praiseworthy, if there's anything of virtue, we just need to make it a habit that we have godly thoughts. We just need to make it a habit that we have godly thoughts. Someone here, probably not in a small crowd like this, but someone would say, well, you know... It says in the Bible that an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Great saying, not in the Bible. Great thing, not in the Bible. However, there's some truth to that. I Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have been just idly, men, we've got our nothing box, and we're just sitting there in our nothing box, just kind of zoned out, and all of a sudden some horrendous thought will just, bam, slap into us. Ever had that happen before? And you go, where did that come from? Where did that come from? That's Satan trying to attack. So we need to make it a habit to be on guard that as soon as we recognize an evil thought, we know exactly what it is, we know where it comes from, and we counter it with Scripture. And we counter it with Scripture. And we learn that when we're just idling, be careful. Make sure that even for idling, be thinking, be on guard against thoughts that are negative. Make sure we have a process that calls for true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and a good report. Anything that's praiseworthy, anything that's virtue. And notice that he says, meditate. Make that our intentional thinking process. So, if you're, if you're sitting there in the living room and you're Donnie Billman... And you just remember that Dave Parrott pulled out in front of you deliberately. Done. Shouldn't have done it, Dave. Shouldn't have done it, buddy. Donnie has two choices. Donnie can shift gears and refuse to let that thought dwell and grow. Or he can dwell on that thought and let it grow and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Can you identify with it? So we've got to be... Listen, victory in the mind is a constant thing. A constant thing. Now, you've got the Word of God on your side. You've got the Holy Spirit on your side. So we are victorious. But there are choices that we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit on. And that is how we think. We can renew our mind. We can prepare our mind, and we can set our mind. Now, one final thought and we're done. And that is this. It's simply this. You've got to understand, if you don't make a conscious decision to do something different, you've made your decision. If you plant corn, you're going to get corn. If you plant rice, that's probably a bad example. If you're going to plant green beans, you're going to get... If you're going to plant pecan pies, you ain't going to get nothing. Ain't gonna get nothing. All right. So if you, if if anywhere today, now in about an hour and a half worth of preaching, okay, 
if somewhere God said, hey, this is something you probably need to listen to, if you don't choose to act on whatever that truth was, you cannot expect different results. If you've got a, if you get the, if you got the, the, the line, lie, label, liability thing going on, if you're pretty puffy tonight and you know you've got a pride issue, if you're in an imaginary world, nothing's never, nothing will ever be good enough because in your imaginary world, nothing ever measures up. Whatever it is, those three things, if that's going on, if you don't choose to do something different, it'll be that way tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And trust me, God wants something more for you than that. I'm glad there's a date in my past. I'm glad there's a date in my future. But I'm glad I've got a Savior who walks with me every day single day. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you very much for, again, the privilege of standing uh, before these folks and sharing your word. Thank you, God, it, it resonates in my spirit. It's kind of like having the opportunity to preach and listen at the same time. And Father, I want to pray that for us, I want to pray for us, that in a year from now, we will be able to look back on September the 18th, 2016. And we can see where our lives changed this day. Our thinking changed. Our outlook changed. And we, in the process, became more like Jesus. So thank you very much for this good day you've given us. Now, fathers, we have a song. We call our decision time even tonight. If there's any unfinished business... Folks need to pray. Perhaps someone needs to trust Christ. They heard the truth this morning. They need to trust Christ. Uh, Father, however, whatever you want to do, we present ourselves that living sacrifice to you tonight. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.